I know that um, as the pastor of Soma, you hear from me a lot every weekend almost. Um, and so you're used to my voice. You're used to my dumb dad jokes and everything in between. Um, but tonight I want to share with you a little differently. And uh, I got to start out by saying it's, it's, you know, with all these guys in this room, everyone has a different testimony. I mean, we could all get up here and share um, something that we've been through, that God's come through for us. We could share something that's going on in our lives right now. Everyone in this room, everyone in this room, there's something difficult going on in your life. It could vary in, de in degrees of difficulty um, and consequence, but we're all going through something that needs God's intervention. Is that true or false? And the thing is, is like as men, um, we're always going through something because of, because of the responsibility that God's put on us. I mean, we are called to lead. Since the beginning, we've been called to lead. To lead our families, our wives, our, our kids. We're called to lead at work. Even if we're not the boss, we're leading because we're influencing. We're, influencing. we're meant to, we're meant to uh, be light. And so um, in every sense of the word, we're called to lead. And yet, if you're like me, still at 46 years old, lots of leadership experience, almost all the time, I feel completely inadequate. Maybe I'm the only one. Did you hear that rumble right there? Did you hear that? I'm not the only one. I, I, I doubt that I am the only one that has ever felt like I haven't been given the tools as a man to do the things that God's called me to do. Am I the only one? Like maybe you didn't have the father that you needed to. There's some things that my father was, and there's a lot that my father wasn't. There's a lot of things that he didn't pass down to me. And you know why? Because he didn't know. And you know why he didn't know? Because my poppy didn't know either. And generations and generations of men feeling like failures as men. It's like, I don't have anything to pass down. And so we do our best to provide, to go to the games of our kids, to buy the flowers at Valentine's, those little things that we do for our sons and our daughters. You guys know what I'm talking about? Whatever we can do to squeak through this thing, man, unscathed without anyone really knowing how inept we are. Am I right? I was thinking about this, and, and I thought about how, man, when COVID hit, boy, did that expose some stuff. Right? I mean, think about it. All of a sudden, the world is in chaos. All of a sudden, we have no control of anything. I have to stay home. I can't go to work. I'm furloughed or I'm fired. My kids can't go to school. You know that don't make mama happy, you know. Even if you already homeschool, there's something crazy going on, right? You can feel it in the air. And all of a sudden, what we were already feeling as men was just amplified times 10. I don't know how to control this. Not to mention the political environment, the potential economic crisis is coming. I can't even eat where I want to eat. And if I do, I got to wear a mask. Got to eat through my mask. You can hear what I'm saying? And I'm telling you, I have talked to men after men after men who have had some interesting 
thoughts and experiences during this COVID time, especially when it first started. Because think about it. It wasn't just about the political and the economical and, and all those things. It was also very much spiritual. We're told we can't go to church. And, you know, I was hearing how most men are like, well, that's the only place I ever engage with God is at church. And so the one thing in their life that keeps them afloat is now taken away from them. And it's amazing, again, what has been exposed. I've run into people, talked to people who said, man, it didn't take long before I got out of the rhythm of even knowing God. Not having quiet times. Not reading my Bible. Not praying. Not praying with my wife. Certainly not going to church because I can't. And not only getting out of the rhythm, but preferring the new rhythm. A pastor, friend, a pastor friend of mine, man, is like, I'm kind of digging this no church thing. Seriously. He said, I- I've kind of gotten used to sleeping in. And, and man, I- I'd be okay with us not going back for a while. This is a pastor friend of mine. I'm like, that's weird. The different places men have found themselves in their hearts during this difficult time, and again, we've come along, and, and East Texas is out of it a little bit. We get to go back to church. Some of our restaurants are open. Some of us got our jobs back. Some are still going through some hard times. But we've kind of come through it enough to where we feel like we can breathe again. But we're still feeling the effects of that very difficult time. Some men feel like they're playing catch-up because of uh, the emotional and uh, even mental chaos that they've experienced in their homes and in their own hearts. The anxiety and the fears that their wife or the children are experiencing. You guys know what I'm talking about? And if not you, then at least a friend, at least a buddy, at least a brother somewhere. And it's really, I'm finding that men are having a really hard time recovering from this. And maybe that's not you. And that's okay. Maybe this COVID time hasn't affected you that way. Wonderful. But we still are on, let's call it the spectrum of feeling inept to be who God created us to be and to lead the way he's called us to lead. Are we at least unified on that? Yes. Have a couple of thoughts. This phrase came to me today, and I do have some things I want to share and some scriptures and some points. It's not on the PowerPoint or anything like that, but I I want you to hear me. I thought about how we as men live in the tension. Listen to me. We live in the tension between desperation and condemnation. Let that sink in for a second. We live in the tension between desperation and condemnation. What I mean by desperation is we, we really do want to be who God's called us to be. Like we really do. Even when we are at our dorkiest times, it's not like we don't want to be what God's called us to be. When we hear our wives say to us or overhear her over the phone or we catch an email we probably shouldn't have caught or whatever telling someone else, one of her friends, I just wish my husband would lead. You know what I'm talking about? It's not like we don't want to lead. And I'm going to say it this way. In some form or fashion, we're desperate 
to be that man. We're desperate to lead our families. Amen? And so there's the desperation. But then we also face on a daily, sometimes hourly or even momentarily, condemnation. And that's the voice of the enemy whispering in our ears, ever so slick, telling us the lies that, well, you don't have what you need to be that husband, to be that father, to be that boss, to be that employee. You weren't, you don't have this. There's so many things that you don't have. You'll never be the man that you're desperate to be. You've already failed too much. It's too late. Just settle into that place and coast on from here and wait for a better season. Wait till the kids are out of the house. It'll get better then. And you hear what I'm saying? We, we give our little time frames of when we're going to do better, when it's going to be, get better. And so we constantly live in that tension between desperation. I am desperate, God. I'm not a perfect man, but I'm a man who wants to be a godly man. And I'm, I'm desperate. The tension between desperation and condemnation, constantly having to field the lies of the enemy. And because of that tension, we just get paralyzed. And we just go nowhere and we don't grow. Many in this room, I, I'm careful when I say this because I'm not pointing at anybody. I don't have anyone in mind. In fact, I'm speaking of myself in some ways, different seasons. But many of us have not grown in the things of the Lord, in the Lord, in spiritual maturity in a long time. And we know that, and we hate that, and we don't want that, but it's the truth. Again, the desperation and the condemnation. And I wanted to share a couple of things. I'm just going to say three things you need to know before you can grow. I'm just going to call it that. And this is really important. This is for you tonight and for anyone that you know that needs this later. But three things I want you to know, at least. There's always more, right? Three things you need to know before you even can grow. And the first thing is you can't do it alone. Listen to me. You can't do it alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's a great chapter. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, Paul had an, an interesting relationship with them. He had been with them many times, was a part of establishing that church. He had been with them many times. He's, he actually wrote them probably more letters than he did anyone else. We have two in the Bible, but he actually wrote three. So there's at least three constantly in correspondence with these guys. So he had a tight relationship with a lot of them. Now, a lot of them were jacked up. A lot of the men in that church were just screwed up. Read the letters, you'll read it. But there were some that he was really close to. He was really tight with. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, he's said a lot of things, but I want to share this little spot with you. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers... Now, this is a day and age somebody calls you beloved brother. You're like, wait, what? Hold, hold up, hold up. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But listen to those words. Therefore, my beloved brothers. So he's talking to a group of men that he considers close, that he considers tight. He said, be steadfast, 
and immovable. Always excel in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I love that. Beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always excel in the work of the Lord. Listen to me. It is impossible. And and this is 100% completely implied in what he's saying. It is impossible to be steadfast and immovable and to excel in the things of the Lord in your life without a band of brothers. It's impossible. And I know that you're in agreement with me because you've been there. And some of you may be there right now. You don't really have a band of brothers. You have people that are in your life that you shoot the breeze with, you watch the game with, but you don't have spiritual community with. You don't talk about the things of the Lord. You're not building up and encouraging one another um, um, and inspiring towards good deeds and godliness. You just have relationships. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about beloved brothers. Do you hear what I'm saying? And that's what Paul's talking about. And again, it's implied you can't be steadfast. You can't be immovable without a band of brothers. How many of you have seen, I don't remember which one, but it was, it was one of the Wolverines. You guys ever watch Wolverine? Anybody seen that? There's a scene where Wolverine and his brother are still kind of buds. They still are in a good relationship with each other. And they're on the battlefield. And, and they just got this rhythm when they're in battle. And I forget what word they say, but they say something. And all of a sudden, they're back to back. One's that way, one's this way. And they are just ripping people to shreds. Taking out more people than should probably be even possible. It's because right there, they are unified. They have each other. They have each other's back. You guys picking up what I'm laying down? He goes on into the next chapter, still kind of talking about some of this. In chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, he says, listen to this. Again, he's in the same same kind of conversation. He says, he starts calling people by name. I love it. I am glad that Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus (laughs) have arrived. So he's saying these three buds have arrived to the Corinthians church. They've showed up. He says, I'm glad they showed up because they have supplied what was lacking from you. Those men showing up brought something to those men that were lacking. He says, for they refreshed my spirit and yours as well. Show your appreciation, therefore, to such men. We all, listen to me. We all have the need to be refreshed. Amen. I say, we don't even like using those kinds of words. I need to be refreshed. (laughs) Right? Now, beloved brother does sound kind of funny. I just need to be refreshed. Listen, just think Gatorade. Think whatever to make it sound more manly. But the reality is, is we need to be refreshed, rejuvenated, revitalized. Amen? He says, they refreshed my spirit and yours as well. We all have the need to be refreshed. And listen, we all have the ability to refresh. Because we have something that other people don't. I, I can't get up and share about um, something that's, that's making my lungs hurt. I don't, I don't have that. You hear what I'm saying? I don't have what Wes shared or what Johnny shared. 
I have experienced a little bit of what Matt shares tonight. In fact, it's because I've experienced that in my own marriage that I was able to sit down with my brother and say, here's what's going on. If you're like me, you're an idiot. <laughs> right? I was able to refresh him because I myself have been refreshed. We all have a need to be refreshed. We all have the ability to be refreshed, but we are notorious. Guys, listen to me. I'm talking to men. We are notorious for doing life alone. We've already established you can't do it all alone. You can't. You have to make room in your life for some beloved brothers. He carries this conversation over into the next chapter. 16, verse 14. We're still talking about the same things. Called out Stephanus, Fortunatus, Achaicus. What's some great names, right? Then he goes on, and, and a little bit later he says, hey, be on the alert. you got to hear this. you got to hear this. This is going to be the most encouraging part. He goes, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you... Do be done in love. I want to break those five things down. Be on alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let everything you do be done in love. I want to break those down really quick. You may be surprised. Be on the alert. Here's what it means. To be actively cautious. Actively cautious. Listen. To watch that destruction doesn't come upon you because you got comfortable. That's literally what that means. That's, that's what that phrase means in the original. To watch that destruction doesn't come suddenly upon you because you got comfortable. You guys know as well as I do, men are the kings of getting comfortable. What do we excel at? Coasting. It's like our favorite, we, we think it's baseball, it ain't baseball. It's coasting. That's our, that's the favorite pastime. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm speaking to myself too. We excel at coasting. And so to have a band of brothers around you, to have some beloved brothers that are saying, these are the guys that have your back. These are the guys that are watching your six. And how we say it in the war movies, they I got your six. These guys that got your back, they got your six. Listen, who's calling out your comfort? Well, man, you just seem comfortable to me. You just feel like you got comfortable. Who are the ones that can tell when you're coasting? You say, well, it's my wife. We can't put that on her. That's why things are going south to begin with. What if we had some beloved brothers in our lives that were to say, hey, brother, I think you're coasting. Before our wives have to send us an email. <laughs> my wife sends me emails too. I hate that. <laughs> I'll get an email and, it'll, and I could just tell from the title of the email. I'm like, oh. They used to be letters. That was even worse because she'd put them in random places. I'm like, oh, on my truck dash, on the sink. But who are the men in your life? Who are the beloved brothers in your life that can say, I think you're coasting? And they can help us and keep us on track so that our wives don't have to feel the brunt of that burden. Amen. They can just be the recipients <laughs> of the godly leadership. The next thing it says, be on the alert, and then it says, stand firm in the faith. 
Stand firm in the faith just means to persevere. It means to persist. It means to keep one's standing. Well, true or false, you're doing a hard thing. It's a lot easier when you have someone standing with you. Isn't that right? I don't know if you guys know the story of, of uh, Moses and Aaron and her. There was a season in Israel's history when they were doing lots of battles. They were at war all the time. And Moses would stand over the hill and watch the battle. And God said, as long as your arms are raised, you're going to win that battle. No pressure. <laughs> but as long as you got your arms raised, you're going to win the battle. And the men around him were so desperate, including the soldiers, for him to win, that Aaron and her, two of his beloved brothers, would come and when Moses' arms got tired, would hold his arms up for him. Beloved brothers. And by doing that, not only were they um, helping Moses fulfill his calling and his role, he was protecting the entire army. Because who suffers if the arms come down? The soldiers. Who suffers when our arms come down? Our families. So I need, I need some beloved brothers. At this point, I don't care how gay it sounds. I just need some beloved brothers. I need a band of brothers. You picking up what I'm laying down? And you, surely you do too. We need a band of brothers, beloved brothers, you can't do it alone. The second thing is, is you won't do it all at once. Listen to what I'm saying to you. You're not going to do it all at once. Men have this get her done mentality. Our way, right away. Right? But when it comes to growing in the Lord, you're not, it's not going to happen all at once. You can't do it all at once. Look what he says. I, I got to show you this. this. is so cool. Be on the alert. This is 1 Corinthians 16. You can go back and read the whole thing on your own. But be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Two things that are connected with your need for beloved brothers. But then look what he says. He says, act like men. And you read it just like that. And it sounds like he's saying, man up, man. Get over it. Get over your daddy issues. Get over your mommy issues. Who cares if your coach benched you on that game or that season? Or you got cut from the team. Get over it. You think that's the kind of stuff he's saying. And sometimes we do need to hear that. But did you know that's not what he's saying? He's not saying, man up. When he says, act like men, here's what it means in that language. To make a man. To make brave. It means those two things. To make a man. He's saying it takes time to become the man of God that God's calling you to be. It takes time. He's not saying, you should already be there, you idiot. You should know this by now. That's what the enemy, that's the tension on the condemnation side, right? That's what we hear constantly. You idiot, you idiot. We're so hard on ourselves. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what he's saying at all. He says, bro, listen, it takes time to become the man of God that you've been called to be. Is that not encouraging? We think Jesus is up there kicking the, get up, son. Go play another lap or whatever. He's not. God's like, we're almost there. Come on. You got 60 more years. Come on. 
I love that. Look at the next thing it says. Act like men. Be strong. And we try to put those together in, in context and this and the way we <laughs> um, translate it. Act like men. Come on. Be strong. Get up. Put a Band-Aid on it. A lot of times we're hearing the voice of our own fathers, aren't we? Isn't that right? Golly, that's not even the voice of the father at all. You know what that means? Be strong. It means to be made strong. To be made strong. To increase in strength. To grow stronger. He's saying you're not going to emotionally and spiritually bulk up in a day. Are you with me? We can already see what Paul's trying to tell these men who are probably failing miserably. And he's not kicking them in the shin. He was correcting them, but he's trying to encourage them. Hey, this takes time. Be strong. In other words, you're not going to emotionally and spiritually bulk up in one day. You won't do it all at once. And then the last thing he says is, let all that you do be done in love. And this is where we're like, oh, man, this is where I'm out. I just can't do this. I can't love them like I need to. We did pretty good when we were just married. And some of you aren't married yet, and I get that. <laughs> just take some notes, right? <laughs> we did all right when we first got married. You know, we had enough in the tank for, you know, to get us through. But then we had our first kid. And our emotional capacity just got divided in two. Do you guys remember? And then we had our second. It's like, oh, my gosh, what just happened? And we felt it, right? Those of you who have two kids. Know, and then when the third one came along, you were like, Fred Sanford. Oh, Lamont, this is the big one. I'm coming home, Elizabeth. Lamont, you big dummy. All the old people in the house know what I just did. We felt it to the depths. You know how many men that I've talked to, some in this room that I've talked to, and they do not know what's going on in their life. They're experiencing things they've never experienced. And all I got to ask them is, what kid are you on? <laughs> Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. We're just like, it's, like just, it's like dividing a pie. We only have so much of that pie left. And when four comes along, listen, my fourth not only was the fourth, it was a daughter. And when we found out we were pregnant, I was like, what's well, going to be another boy? Because there's boys everywhere. But when I found out it was a daughter, I just saw God in heaven grabbing a hammer and a chisel. <laughs> I knew it. I knew he was about to do a whole new work in me, and he did. And I don't, I don't parent my daughter quite the way I did my boys. You got to be all like sensitive and stuff. <laughs> I probably should have been more sensitive with my boys too, but. Listen, everything that you do must be done in love. Here's what he's not saying. You are just a jerk. You can't do anything right. You don't love me the way you need it. You don't love that. That's not what he's saying. Here's what it means to become loving. <laughs> Literally means that. To become loving, to begin to be loving. Paul is saying learning to love is a lifelong lesson. Are you with me? How many of you know that's true? How many of you love a little bit better than you did 20 years ago, 5 years ago, 10 minutes ago? <laughs> Listen, guys, learning to love is a lifelong lesson. 
you won't do it all at once. If you're with me, say, I am. The third thing I want to tell you is this, and I wished I could spend more time on it, but I can't. You can't do it until you are free. You can't do it until you are free. Second Corinthians 3, Paul talking to the same group of men. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom. If we are men that say we are born again, then we are saying we have the spirit of the living God in us. If we have the spirit of the living God in us, according to this, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So part of our problem that we are um, constantly in the tension between condemnation and desperation is that we're still bound up. We're not free. We're not walking in freedom. We did a freedom class here, uh, I think two summers ago, and, and I gave a definition of freedom. Here's what it means to be free. Standing in the presence of God, upright, and healed through the work of Jesus Christ. Listen to what I'm saying. Standing upright in the presence of God. Healed through the work of Jesus. I'm going to share something with you. And this is a, another area of scripture. But I want it to be like a little bit of fuel in your tank. To go and study and find out and inquire. Because I'm telling you, you can't do it. You, you, can, you can say, oh, I can't do it at once. I got that down. Or what was the other one? Uh, um, oh, I know I can't do it alone. Let me give me some, some good buddies. You can have beloved brothers all day long, but if you are not walking in freedom, your growth is stunted. just is. In Hebrews 12, it says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, since we were surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, listen to what he says, and, and he's, the idea is that we're able to run this race, run this race in such a way as to win, he says in another place. But he likens our walk with the Lord like running, running, not crawling, not walking, running. But he says in order to do that, we have to lay aside, listen, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles. When we read that, we just think the encumbrances and the sins are the same thing, but they're not. Lay aside the encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, then we will be able to run with endurance the race that's been set before us. I want to tell you something about that word encumbrance. In the original language, it means to bend. It's a word that they would use for the crooks or whatever of the arm. Like if your arm was like this, that angle is what it means, a bend. To, 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 to bend. Interestingly, it can also be used to describe an ache. I want you to read it this way. If you want to run the race in such a way as to win, you have to lay aside every hurt, every ache, 
every pain. Or read it this way. Let us also lay aside every, if you want to get, if you want to run the race in such a way as to win and, and, and really cross the finish line, you're going to have to lay aside the way that you're bent. The way that you are inclined. You guys ever heard, oh, I don't, yeah, just don't worry about that. It's just the way he's bent. Oh, that's just, he's just bent that way. You guys ever heard that? Yeah. And then it talks about the sin. This is the sin that so easily entangles. The reason the sin entangles our feet, the reason we even go there with our hand is because we're bent in our heart. There's a bend in our heart. Some people are bent towards anger. Maybe because of having someone in their life that was angry towards them, at them. Some people are bent towards sexual sin. Because at an early age, early age, they got into pornography and things like that. Some people are bent towards deception. You just can't trust a word they say. For whatever reason. Maybe they had to tell whoppers to gain friends. You guys hear what I'm saying? And so we get bent this way. We started out like this. But life happens. And every time we have a hurt or a wound or something in our life, it bends us. And what did we read earlier? Um, where was it? Oh, the, the definition of freedom. Standing, standing in the presence of God, not bent, upright and healed. Are you with me? Upright and healed through the work of the cross. Here's something interesting. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, it says, You shall not worship other gods or serve them. I, the Lord, am your God, and I'm jealous. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands and those who love me and keep my commands. So he says, I, I visit the iniquities of the father. And it's just a kind of fancy, weird Bible way of saying that we pass our stuff on to our kids. Do you know what the word iniquity means in Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament? To bend. To bend, to twist, to distort, to pervert. So we just read in Hebrews 12 that we got to lay aside every hurt, every bend, everything that's twisted and distorted in our life and get it right bring truth to it, do away with the lie, straighten it up. Here it says, if you don't, that iniquity, that bend, that twistedness, that perversion, that distortion will pass on to your kids. And it's not like he's saying, I want it to. He's saying, don't let it. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's provision for it not to. There is freedom. So what you have in a in Hebrews 12, chapter 12 is you have two things that we have to deal with in our life. You have iniquity, the sin of the heart, and you have sin, the sin of the hand. And we work our tails off to keep from the sin of the hand, but we don't work near enough on the sin of the heart. Men do not seek freedom 
in Christ. We go our whole lives struggling with our anger, struggling with our lustful thoughts, lustful deeds of darkness. All the things. And, and maybe, maybe you're identifying with something right now that I'm, that I'm saying. Or there's a, there's, you have your own list of iniquities, ways that you are bent. Can I tell you? God wants to heal that in you. He wants to heal that. 